0: Cultists following around a little lamb, not named to bury. This is the Max Level Podcast. Welcome home for the uninitiated Max Levels, a weekly breakfast powwow brought to you by RPGera.com. I'm your host, Brian, and well, I shouldn't even say weekly anymore. Joining me on the show this morning, he is the host of the Media Files every single Friday. It is Kyle.
1: Good morning, Brian. Good
0: morning, sir. It's been a minute. Sure has. Now. We took some time off. We'll talk about that in a second. But before we do, special shout out to Occam's Laser for a majority of the music you'll hear today during the show. Go check them out wherever you can find music and people, including YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You won't be disappointed. Please take a moment and do us a favor if you'd be so kind. Head on over to Apple Podcasts or whichever app you've chosen to listen to us on and drop us a quick rating and a review. It really does help out in terms of visibility so that this show continues to grow. And remember, we are on Patreon now as well. Patreon.com forward slash RPG era. Check out our tiers, see what we're doing. Maybe if you feel inclined, toss us a couple bucks each month. If not, continue to listen to the episodes as they upload each week. Works wonders as well. And, of course, special shout-out to current executive producers, JexX and Zanku. So, yeah, before we get into what's new with you, obviously, Kyle, we took some time off. We took, what, two weeks off, I think it was? And a yeah. uh, big reason for that is I am just so fucking busy right now. Work has been kind of crazy for me lately. You know, the the... Regular 8-to-5 job that I'm working now, and you and I, and Sev, though he's only written one review so far, but you and I have been pumping out some reviews left and right over on RPGera.com. And in order to do that, because of the limited amount of time that I have each week and each day now, I had to sacrifice a few things because I need to actually play more games to completion and spend time, you know, critiquing and writing about them. So I don't have a lot of time to edit podcasts. So we had to take a few weeks off for this show. We took one week off for Blood and Destroyers. The only show that didn't actually suffer was BG Mania, a video game music podcast and the media files, technically, though. You screwed that up yourself.
1: That was on me. <laughs> that's on That's
0: on me, man. Y- y'all be good.
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding.
0: I don't know what happened with your audio, what was it, two weeks ago, one week ago?
1: Yeah, I have no idea what happened there, man. It just stopped and deleted, like, the last four minutes of the episode. It happens sometimes. It happens. You never can tell with
0: audacity. It'll just mess up every now and then. But you and Lindsay had a good episode uh, this past Friday
1: about the summer yeah, I turned about pretty. Yeah, the summer I turned pretty. Yeah. And, uh, Was that the summer? Did you old, finally turn pretty this summer? Old, no, I'm still waiting for that summer for me. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> One day.
0: <laughs> One day. One day. One day it'll happen. Either that or you'll just get old and never be pretty, so who knows?
1: Yeah, uh, we're almost there. Yeah, we're- I don't have many summers left. <laughs>
0: we're getting close, dude. We're going to be dead soon. <laughs> uh, no, jeez. Oh, <laughs> All right, man. Let's jump into a little what's new with you because this is the uh, really we're we're not doing a main discussion on the show today. What's new with you is the main discussion. It is the meat and potatoes of the episode this week because since we have taken several weeks off, we have not talked about a lot of games that we've been playing about a lot of games that we have posted reviews for over on RPGera.com, And we've got some really big and really fun games to talk about this week. So let's kick things off with a game that you reviewed and neither one of us are finished with it yet. Yeah, you're close, right? Like you're at the end of it. No, you are. No, I, I finished. You finished this. Sorry. I was thinking you're not. I was thinking Baron Breakfast, which you're at the end of but yes. um cult of the lamb you did finish i am i'm thinking halfway through but uh i you can you can confirm that for me after we talk about it here for a second so let's let's jump into some cult of the lamb because i think this is probably the biggest and most exciting game that everyone is still talking about right
1: now i yeah i agree a lot of people i know have started playing this game and i think for good reason it's got a ton of hype behind it and again for good reason in cult of the lamb you are a lamb who after nearly dying you are saved by an old god who brings you back to Earth. And in exchange, you have to build a cult in his name and gather followers and overthrow the old gods that overthrew him. And man, did I absolutely love just about everything about this game. I ate this game up, man. I have been too. And I finally jumped into it.
0: You know, I am I am playing. uh Justin's copy of it basically I, I didn't actually buy it for myself I'm just kind of playing it on their switch upstairs whenever nobody else is using it in the evening hours and late night hours and I am I don't remember the names of the areas um, but I mm-hmm. am in the well I finished the second area like I've, t- oh, okay. I've taken down two of the gods basically
1: that is anchor deep as I recall I am going to anchor deep next. Anchor deep's the second area. Anchor deep's the third area. I don't think so. It's it goes Darkwood and then Anchor Deep. Oh, wait, you might be right. Yeah, I can't remember what the second An- area is An- called.
0: Anchor Deep is the door that's still closed for me because I haven't actually progressed the story to that point yet. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: So yeah, I don't remember the name of the third area or the second area, but you you should be right there. But yeah, it's um there there's four main dungeons that you have to go into okay. and you have to go into each of them a couple times and they're all themed a little bit differently. There's Four different times, it seems like. Can, yeah, but you can. But there's reasons to go back in further. Right, side quests. That. I had to go
0: find some flowers for one of my followers in Darkwood after I had already finished it.
1: Right, right. Yeah, you can go back in for side quests. If you make it all the way through again, you can get some new kind of unique followers and follower forms, which is its own entire system. Which I system. did do. I ended
0: up getting the boss from Darkwood as, or like the god as a follower, basically. Like the- yes, and
1: it the, and a witness, yeah, a witness. the witnessed version yeah. of him, yeah, which was super dope, very cool, yeah. It's you know what this has been this has been a really really great game that I've really enjoyed. the The gameplay reminds me a lot more of Binding of Isaac than it does anything else. When you're in the dungeon, these rooms are all kind of rectangular shaped. There are a random amount of enemies, all shooting things at you at random speeds and at random places. You have to dodge, kill all of them. It's not so difficult it's not that it wildly frustrates you and that i think that's one of the drawbacks of binding of isaac is that binding and binding of isaac i think is a 9.5 i think that game's absolutely phenomenal but binding of isaac really takes practice to get good at it is brutally difficult and it's also massively huge now but they've had years and years and years of building that game up adding new bosses adding new items that game is massive now uh Cult of the Lamb has not had that. It just came out and it is easier than Binding of Isaac is. So... It, it felt like mining of Isaac in the way that it plays, but not in the way that it, Binding of Isaac initially frustrated me. Now, that being said, Binding of Isaac had its claws in me, where after I beat Binding of Isaac, I still went back and played it for many hours. Uh, this game does not have that, and I don't think that it's necessary. Everybody's very, very angry about, you know, how this game plays. It's not quite like Binding of Isaac. Well, I think mining of Isaac maybe is a masterpiece, I think that this is a very, very good game in its own right, and and it took me about 11 hours to complete this game. And I think it's okay for a game to take 11 hours to beat, and that's the end of the game, right? I, th- I think that that's an, that's an appropriate amount of time for a game to take, especially an indie game like this. And I really, really enjoyed all 11 of those hours. Now, they are planning on adding a lot more to the dungeons, the dungeon diving, uh new styles of playing, new bosses, new items. They're planning on adding a lot of new endgame content to make that roguelike, or that roguelite, I guess, area of the game more fleshed out so that people will continue to return to it. And if they're able to really pull off a lot of what Binding of Isaac did, they will have a long-term, very memorable masterpiece on their hands here because I do think that the rest of the game just is absolutely wonderful. I think the entire cult management part of the game is very, very fun. That's been my favorite part. Yeah, it's been so much fun. And it can be frustrating at times, but it can be very rewarding as well. And I think that finding that balance can be a very tricky balance, but I think they've done a good job of it. You know that I love town building aspects in
0: games, and I have been spending so much time kind of trying to make my cult area, because I don't think it ever expands, right? You just have that area that initially is open to you. And I have been spending as much time as I could kind of moving my buildings around as I unlock new stuff, trying to make it look how I want it to look. I've completely changed the floor of every tile that I can change in that area. I've kind of messed around with it and made it look how I want it to look and... Uh, Every time I unlock something new that is like a permanent fixture that you can only build once, I kind of design the rest of my little town around that. And I have just been probably spending more hours and more time managing the cult and managing the town as opposed to diving through the dungeons because I am just enjoying that aspect more and kind of interacting with the followers and just having a blast kind of doing their side quests and... Getting to learn, and I'm just letting it randomly generate. I'm not really focusing too much on customization or anything. Kind of like what I think you said you did. I'm just letting, yeah, it, letting think, it happen yeah. as they come in, right? Whatever they look like, they look like. I really don't care. But um, it's been kind of a joy to unlock these new decorations through cards that you find through the dungeon levels and then once you unlock something you get an idea oh i can i can design something around this and then i do and then it's a lot of fun <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been really really fun. And I think that the two the way that those two elements of the game, the town building, cult management and the roguelike combat element of the game, the way that those two interact and complement each other, I think is just very very unique, something that I've not played before and it works really really well. Things you do in the cult strengthen you later in the runs and the things you find on your runs will strengthen your cult. And I think if those two elements didn't play so well together, it would it would hurt. Right. It would feel like two very disjointed pieces, you know, that that are not the best of their own genres. But when you combine these pretty good working versions of those genres together, you get a very unique experience that, you know, I'm not sure I was expecting both of them to to complement each other so well, which which surprised me. and, And I think that's been my favorite part. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: And I think you and I, based on what you said during your review and what you've told me, like when you were playing it through Discord conversations, we are playing this game wildly different because I know you were kind of going about the, the more darker side of, of the cult, jumping into some cannibalism, jumping into some, absolutely. Uh, some sacrifices and that kind of stuff. Ritual
1: sacrifice, trial by combat. Yes.
0: Whereas I have been kind of playing it more, I don't want to say safe, but friendly and trying to make my cult not so dark just because I I like that aspect that you can kind of pick and choose. And each time you unlock a new doctrine right each time you find three of those shards to unlock one Mm -hmm. you have a choice between two depending on the category you pick and one of them kind of is a bit nicer and one
1: not so much well and it should be said that those not as nice ones right are just as rewarding as the nice ones you get benefits oh yeah absolutely depend it's not like the good path and the evil path they're both just different paths right now one of them is Is like comically mean, right? Like trial by combat, like making your followers enjoy eating their own poop. These are things that you can do in this game, but they still have function and they still work as as you would want them to right my the cannibalism trait wasn't just to get rid of dead bodies it also increased the faith of my cult when i did it and increased their hunger level which was right. a good thing so these things even though they are kind of the meaner option are not bad in in the sense of the gaming terms
0: and i love that each time you have to perform a ritual they, they don their little robes and
1: then <laughs> oh yeah got to put the robes on <laughs> Now, this 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 game did came out in a pretty buggy state, and a lot of people struggled with early bugs that, you know, made the game either very difficult to progress or impossible to progress in. But I know that uh, Massive Monster, the developers, have been very responsive to those, have been pushing out updates as frequently as possible, and are committed to making this a, a worthwhile experience. I only came across one bug in the entire time that I played. Um, I might be the unique one there, but... It was a it was a small bug. I just had to restart the game once and that was that. I've I thought it was very well made. If they continue on this trajectory, if they do increase that end game content, I will be right back in. What was the bug that you encountered? I had every now and then when you're running through a dungeon, the bishop of that dungeon, which is the boss at the end of the dungeon, the bishop will appear and kind of talk smack to you for a couple minutes. Yeah. And they'll say, oh, you stupid lamb, you better leave now before I kill you. And then maybe they'll, like, pull one of your followers in and and make him sick and be like, there, that'll stop you, you know. And then you go about the dungeon. Uh, One time, one of those bishops appeared, and right as he appeared, I started a roll animation, a dodge roll. And I got stuck in that dodge roll animation, and it locked the game.
0: Okay, okay. So I've not experienced that. So I lost,
1: yeah, I lost about three minutes in one of my dungeon runs, and I just restarted the game and started the dungeon over.
0: Yeah, that's not bad. The only, the only issue I've had so far is I, after coming back from a run, I found two new followers, you know, indoctrinated them into the cult, and then spent some time doing some other stuff, and I tried to go back and do another run, and it wouldn't let me leave. It said you still need to indoctrinate your followers or whatever before you can leave. And oh. so I went back down to the circle and I was like, well, I don't have any follows to followers to, you know, bring in. I don't know what the hell's going on. So, I did what you did. I restarted the game and all was fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's, that is a common bug. I have heard multiple people talk about that. Yeah. That's the only thing I've encountered though. Everything else has been, you know, there I am playing on the switch. I think you played the steam version cause the, the team gave us a key for that, for the review, but I ended up, you know, I'm playing it on Justin's switch and I have noticed some, some
1: frame rate issues on the switch yeah, version. There, there were small frame rate issues on PC. Nothing that, it caused me any serious grief, but I did notice a couple small frame rate issues on the PC, but I've heard it's worse on switch. Yeah, I
0: could, I could see that because
1: I've been kind of encountering that
0: not even just in the dungeons themselves, but sometimes even in the, the town building area because of, you know, how many followers you might have walking around and how Correct, much shit yeah. you have in your actual town. So it gets a bit cluttered and it gets a bit slow at times. But nothing that's really taken away my enjoyment overall of the experience because I am really liking this hybrid combination of roguelike and city builder. So I will see this to completion. Um, It's taken me, I think I'm roughly around like the maybe seven hour mark right now getting through those two dungeons that I've gotten through. And that's with dying, I think, just once so far. I'm not finding this game super difficult. Right. Which I think you also said. I think you said you died like three yeah. times total before making it to the end.
1: I think two or three times, yeah. It was not as hard as maybe it could have or should have been. Uh, but also, I don't think it needed to be. Th- death carries a serious penalty in this game. Right. So, you want to try not to die. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It is a great game though. It is a great game. And I think I saw over the last few days that it is already over a million in terms of sales and I think that's well deserved.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've been I've told multiple people about it. They've all picked up the game and have all been enjoying it as well.
0: Absolutely, man. If you haven't played it yet, go check it out. Another game that we put up a review for over on rpgera.com in the last week is a game that I was not expecting to fall in love with as much as I did, even though I only still gave this game uh, a 7.5 out of 10, right? I, I do think this game did have a lot of issues, but I absolutely fell in love with the story and the combat and it just being, you know, grounded in this Chinese mythology lore that you know i'm a big fan of like the chinese and japanese mythology lore over over in that area and that is sword and fairy together forever otherwise known as the legend of sword and fairy 7 this is the 7th entry in this franchise A franchise that largely never released in English and never released outside of like China and Taiwan, those two regions. It was kind of landlocked for a while.
1: I'm like totally unfamiliar with it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's because the first five games and its offshoots and like side games, I guess, because there are some side missions or not side missions, side stories that released as standalone games, they only ever came out in China and Taiwan and the first one to release worldwide in english and i say english with quotations because the translation is really rough they didn't actually hire a you know like an actual english translation studio to work on this game the team themselves just kind of translated it into english and it is very broken english at times and some things don't make a ton of sense because the words don't really make sense, right? The words that they're using don't fit what's being said or what's being portrayed, and some of the grammar is just horrendous. But that didn't really affect my overall experience of the story because one aspect that I've always said about some of these games that get landlocked to different regions that never release in English... I still want to play these games, right? Like, especially Japanese and JRPGs and these types of games. I want to experience these games. And doing so, I've played several in their native language and not understood a fucking thing what was going on because I still wanted to play the game.
1: (laughs) At least if it's in
0: somewhat English... I can still understand it right like I can piece together what's happening as long as there's a bit of English that I can you know that I can kind of connect with and understand I can be like oh okay this is what's actually happening here this is what the team is portraying it makes sense to me so the the poor translation it did affect the score a little bit when I when I sat down to review it but I appreciated the fact that it still was in English because it allowed me to understand more of what was going on now in Sword and Fairy Together Forever again the seventh entry in this franchise you are kind of jumping into this Chinese lore again right and it um, it kind of borrows elements of and I'm going to pronounce probably these two wrong you might be able to correct me Wuxiu and Shenmu or Shenmo, not Shenmu, cuz that's a game, Shenmo, which I know I'm pronouncing yeah, that right, know. but Wuxia, W U X I A. It borrows elements Wuxia. Okay, so it borrows elements yeah. of that Shenmo and some fantasy because you're dealing with these three realms. You have the human realm, the oh, I
1: freaking love Wuxia stuff, man.
0: demon realm and the deity realm. And these three realms, they went through this massive war several hundred years before this game takes place, because this game is the furthest game so far in the Legend of Sword and Fairy series. It takes place hundreds of years after the previous games that came out before it. And most of those games that came out before it were loosely tied together. This one, not so much. It's in the same universe. It's in the same setting, but nothing that you really need to have played any of the previous games to enjoy. So you are playing as these four characters, right? You have Yu King Shu, who is the oldest disciple of the Ming Shu sect, and she's basically considered the main character of the game. You have Shu Wu. Who is a deity that, um, you know, right at the start of the game, you find a, like, a a green glowing apple, basically, and goes to take a bite out of it, but her spirit beast stops her because, you know, something could be wrong with it, and they don't know at that time that it is the deity, so by her kind of... Not necessarily taking a bite, but by putting her lips on it and, you know, going to take the bite uh, becomes spirit locked with this deity, which brings him to life more or less. And it's kind of funny because there is some romantic story elements in this game, none that you really have a choice of. They're already predetermined. But um it, it gets kind of entertaining because when he comes to be an actual thing, a person, and they are kinda of talking about like how they're locked together and, and kinda I forget the name of that they use in the game to kinda portray their interconnectivity, but he has a he has a hickey on his neck. <laughs> And she's like, Can you not show people that?
1: <laughs> That's amazing.
0: You also have uh Baimo King, who is a disciple of the Shansu sect, and Sang Yo, who is this like energetic and kinda comedic relief character that probably had my favorite development in plot points throughout the game. Now this game is rather lengthy. It is thirty-one chapters. Some of these chapters can be relatively short, only taking maybe a half hour or so to get through. But the cutscenes in the game are actually pretty lengthy as well, reminding me a lot of kind of what Bandai Namco used to do back during like the Xeno Saga series, where some of these cutscenes then were like an hour plus, you know, bordering on two hours long this game never really gets that deep with the cutscenes, right? I don't think there's any that actually lasted a full hour. Maybe none that even lasted 40 minutes, but there were several that probably lasted close to a half hour. And in those moments, I, I really appreciate that kind of stuff because I love good storytelling in games, and I think that's where Sword and Fairy Together Forever really shines, is through its storytelling, through its narrative, through its combat, and through its soundtrack. This game is is gorgeous to look at, right? It did come out a few years ago on PC, so it's not like super modern in terms of cutting edge, you know, 3080 type graphics or PS5 Xbox Series type graphics, but kind of early PS4, early Xbox One style presentation, still gorgeous looking. The particle effects are phenomenal. The combat is super fluid and fun, and I really just started out not expecting to do everything in this game, right? Like, I didn't think I was going to get invested and do every side quest. I thought I would just kind of play through it for the main story to sit down to do the review. But as I got further and further into it and further along, and I started falling more in love with the story that was being told and getting more invested in these characters and in their relationships with one another, I started wanting to explore the side quests. And I started wanting to find everything the world has to offer. So I ended up almost 100%ing this game. I came damn close to being able to get the platinum if I wanted to, and that was only after about thirty-three hours. Like, not a super lengthy yeah, that's game. Not bad. I could have probably spent maybe an additional ten hours to get the platinum if I really wanted to, but I decided not to. Um, but I really did love what East Asia Soft and Softstar did for Sword and Fairy Together Forever, and I think if you enjoy. These types of games, right? These it, it reminds me a lot of the Tales series, like Tales of Arise, Tales of Berseria, Tales of Zilia, that kind of stuff, in terms of the combat and the exploring of the individual areas, because they're not open, right? They are kind of wide areas that you get to explore, but there's not inner interconnectivity between the paths, right? You do have to fast travel from one area to another to get from one section to another. So it's not like a massive sprawling open world. So there is only so much to see in each area. And once you've seen it all, once you found all the chests, once you found all the items to find on the ground, which gets made a little easier the further in the get, uh, the get further in that you get to the game because an accessory um, that you unlock eventually that you can equip onto one of your characters allows you to see, like, where chests are and where stuff is out on the map. And once I had that accessory, I ran around to every area and found everything that I could find in the game. And in doing that, I even found more, like, costumes for the characters to put on and more stuff that they could equip. Um, I ended up just really fucking having a blast with this game, dude. And on our upcoming radio hour BG Mania I actually have a block dedicated to this game because the soundtrack is just it's mind-blowingly good dude it is it is fantastic
1: yeah it's it's not a game that's ever been on my radar but I do like the soundtracks of games like this and and it's probably a soundtrack that I'll end up listening to at the gym I really like japanese inspired or anime inspired music while I work out so it's probably a soundtrack that I'll pick up but hearing how much you like this game and unexpectedly like this game honestly like raises my interest in it. Yeah, I I love when that happens, dude. Like I knew again, I knew I wanted to play it
0: and I knew that I would appreciate it, but I didn't expect to appreciate it and, and fall in love with it as much as I did. So, this is another game that, you know, the team graciously sent us to work on for review for rpgera.com. I would have bought this anyway. It's only $30. It's not a full-priced game. So I would have picked this up regardless, but I do appreciate getting to play through this and kind of getting to enjoy what this team put together. And I just hope that they do have plans because, again, this is the seventh fucking entry, so the team has clearly been dedicated to making this series. I hope when the eighth comes out, it just comes out in English right right then and there. Right. So we'll have to see. We will have to see. We have a lot of games to talk about. Another one that you jumped into and wrote about for RPGera.com is a physical exclusive that you kind of dove into immediately when this was announced during Devolver Digital's E3 or Summer Game Fest 2021 showcase for Kickstarter, and that's Demon Throttle.
1: Yeah, I finally got this game in the mail about a year after I pre-ordered it. It finally came out, and it came out with very little fanfare. Not a lot of people um, either pre-ordered this game or ordered it at all and and have been playing it and talking about it. But it actually really surprised me. What I expected was a little kind of time-waster 2D over-the-top shooter like we saw in the original trailer, and that's what I got. But it's something that I also quite enjoyed. It is a very fun game. It is a very short game, and it's a game that you can play either solo or you can play in two-player co-op, and you play as either a gunslinger, which is this this little cowboy that has a six-shooter, or as a vampire that has a crossbow, and if you're playing solo, then you can switch between those two characters at will. And if you're playing co-op, then both characters are on the screen at the same time. So I did play the entire game co-op with a buddy of mine. I tried to play it with Lindsay, but it is a tough as nails game and we really, really struggled with it. Did right she like it? She did. She actually got kind of addicted to it. We played it for about two okay. hours. Uh, and, and couldn't get past the second level. Now, there's only four levels, and each level only takes between five and ten minutes to play. So, we're really looking at a probably a 25-minute game in total. It's not bad. But, yeah, but it's so hard, and every time you die, the game restarts. There's no save function. There's no hub world where you get upgrades. You just restart the game. And so, you end up knowing the first level which is this, it's a grassland or something with a castle on it. You end up knowing that level really, really well. And it got to the point where every time we played the first level, we were getting through it with full bombs, full health, with a shield. I mean, you know untouched because we knew where everything was the levels do not change except for one small spawn of a sub dungeon later on in the the level that can change places other than that everything is where you expect it to be and so you want to fill up on bombs and make sure that your health is full and get a shield before you get to the final boss of the level and luckily, you know where all those things are, so you can do that. The bosses are really pretty fun. You know, they, they're mostly stationary things at the top of the screen that you have to kind of dodge all of their oncoming bullets at the bottom of the screen. And feels feels kind of like those old Contra levels in many ways where you are just running left and right. Um, except you can go up and down, but that's often not to your advantage in this game. At any rate. It is short. Once you beat it, you do kind of feel like you beat the game, but it's also kind of a cool little collector's piece. Now, I know that it's not limited run games. It is special reserve games. Special reserve games did kind of go back on their promise of this being, you know, like a one in 10,000 type thing that if you ordered it, you got it. And that was all of the copies they were ever going to make. They are actually printing more copies of this game and and shipping them to like GameStop and Amazon and stuff, Um, which which you know you feel kind of burned about i think a lot of people do because they were promised that this was going to be a very exclusive title it's still not coming to the e shop it's still physical only but a lot of people do feel burned by by this uh you know the second print of it that's going to other retailers and it's a little bit cheaper, and it comes with a code of Soft's previous game, Robato, which I love, and I did not get that code because I pre-ordered the game and did not order it through a retailer. So, there is kind of some... Harsh resentment against special reserve games, and this is a company who's been known to go back on their promises sometimes. So, I understand that I really don't care that much. I still played the game, I still enjoyed it, and uh, still reviewed it for rpgera.com. Yeah, read that review if you want the, the full insight on it. But it is a fun game, I don't know that it's worth the price if you're not going to pick it up for kind of this cool little collector's cartridge that you have that's physical only, it'll never be on the eShop, hopefully they don't go back on that promise, uh, then it's worth getting, I think. I don't know that this is something I'll ever get to play, unless
0: I end up moving back out west and just play your copy, because I don't know that right. I care enough to own a, you know, I don't care about the the physical exclusive stuff anymore. I rarely buy physical games anymore. Most of the games I buy, probably 95% of them are digital games, Right. I hardly ever buy a physical copy of anything anymore. So there is a a real good chance that I will never actually play this. I did obviously read through your view as I edited it and put it up on the website. And I've seen people play it through either YouTube or Twitch or whatever. But I don't know that this is something I'll ever jump into myself. What I saw of it, I did think it looked kind of cool. But I don't know that it's enough for me to actually want the physical experience, right? Like, I don't know that it's
1: I don't know that it's necessary to play. I don't think it's a must play of the switch, but it is a fun game for two gamers. Right. And, and the person that I ended up beating this game with is a buddy of mine. He is a gamer. He was pretty good at it. And we got through the entire game in about an hour, you know, with trial and error. Um, but if you, like, you know, if you were ever out West and you were, you know, visiting town and you were staying at my house for a night and we we're like, Hey, let's play some games. I could easily pop this game in and we could have a lot of fun for about an hour.
0: Yeah. That, that would be a lot of fun to, to hopefully be able to do that one day. Cause I know I'm not going to be in Ohio forever. Uh, I'm right. already wanting to get the fuck out again. So, um, I have been contemplating migrating back West. I just don't know that I ever want to live in Vegas again either. Like... Vegas still
1: sucks to me and is just
0: ungodly expensive,
1: but it's only, it's only getting more expensive here, man. It has gotten so expensive here. Well, and that's not just Vegas,
0: California, that's literally everywhere out West. Right. So like, as I've been contemplating leaving Ohio and and moving West, I, I have been looking around, like I've looked at Vegas again. I've looked in California. I've looked in Oregon. I've looked in Washington state. All that shit's expensive, man. Like everything out West is just crazy expensive. It sucks. Mm -hmm. Like,
1: apartments in Portland, where I was looking the the other day, were just
0: really fucking high, too, man. Really fucking high.
1: Uh, Oh, yeah, Portland's awful right now.
0: Yeah. It
1: sucks. But, gosh, what a cool city.
0: Yeah, super cool city. (laughs) And speaking of super cool, the last two games that we're going to talk about here before you probably have to leave me, and I'll finish the episode on my own, but... Um, I have two games here that I have been playing through, one that I've already finished, one that I'm desperately trying to finish, but it's just so brutally difficult. You need to play both of these games. So let me tell you about these. The first one is Curse to Golf, which just came out this past week. I want to say this came out on uh, Thursday, Tuesday or Thursday this past week. And this is another game that the team did send us a review key for four of the five games we talked about on what's new with you today were all sent to us by the teams which is kind of cool, right? We're back into the full swing of things doing reviews for RPGera.com so I appreciate getting back in and being accepted back into this kind of review community with open arms and not really having to struggle so much in terms of like rebuilding ourselves back up after taking like a year and a half off once we stopped doing leveldowngames.com and became RPGera.com and really weren't focusing on reviews, we were just focusing on the weekly podcast content and now we're kind of switching gears and going back to reviews and and maybe not so much the podcasts, but um, Curse to Golf is a roguelike, and it is a very unique roguelike because you are golfing. You are more or less golfing. So the game starts as you're playing the character, his name is The Champ, and you are on the 18th hole of this like championship series, and all you need to do is fucking make your shots, Get the ball in the hole and you've won this championship. Basically, you're the greatest golfer of all time. And through these like, you know, tutorial area, it's teaching you about your different clubs. Right. You have three clubs. You have the driver, the wedge and an iron. You don't have a massive amount of choice between your clubs in the game. You have three choices and it's just one iron. Right. It's not like a seven iron, eight iron, nine iron. It's just one iron, one driver and one wedge. And you use the driver basically at the start. It hits the furthest, obviously. The wedge is only used in sand traps and, like, to get you higher up because it shoots high. And then the iron is your club that you'll basically use throughout a majority of, like, the middle areas of these courses or levels. And it's teaching you all of that. And you get to the final shot. And it's like, you know, just got to make this shot. And then you get struck by lightning and you're dead. So you fall into eternity. E-T-E-R-N-I-T-E-E, Eternity. (laughs) Cute. (laughs) And you are basically talking to this ghost who is another golfer. His name is the Scotsman. And he is teaching you about this golf purgatory and like where golfers go when they die. And he's like, you know, this is not the end. You can ascend. You can come back to life. You just have to make it through 18 holes of some of the hardest fucking golf you'll ever play. And these are not like just, you know what you would expect from a golf course, right? It's not straight levels. It's not, you know, just avoiding water damages and avoiding mulligans and avoiding the sand traps and all that stuff. It is basically twists, turns, TNT fans, Things that want to kill you, spikes, like there is just so much stuff that is stopping you from getting your ball from the tee to the hole. And these levels are multi-layered, so it reminds me heavily of if Spelunky would have been a golf game.
1: Oh, man, you're speaking my language. So it's... I love Spelunky. And Spelunky's hard. Very I've never beat Spelunky 2. I've got a lot of hours in that game. I've never beat it.
0: And this game is just as hard, if not harder, than Spelunky. So you are constantly kind of watching and paying attention to your par count. Because your par count is how many shots you have until you are dead and you have to go back to the very beginning. And when you die in a run, this, you know, it is a roguelike. It is, you know, they they are considered runs. When you die, when you run out of shots, you go back to the first hole and you have to start all over again. And you can increase the amount of shots you get because you start each hole with five. You can increase the amount of shots by using these cards that you obtain throughout the courses. And by doing well and by completing courses, you unlock more cards. You can also get them at the shops that are located in the game. But these cards can add, you know, shots to your count. They can make it so that way you can stop your ball mid-flight and have it drop where it is. They can explode the TNT on the map to create shortcuts. There's a bunch of stuff that these cards can do. And there's also statues littered across the courses. There's a golden statue, which will add plus four to your shot count. There's silver statues that add plus two. And by shooting your ball through the statues and and breaking them is how you get the additional shots. And you have to kinda manage your cards and your shot count and really pay attention to the level design Because these levels are very lengthy and very full of multiple paths to get from the start to the finish. And there's usually two holes in each course. You can pick and choose which one you're kind of going to go toward to complete it. And as you're doing so, again, you're still avoiding traps. You're still avoiding everything. But you're trying to get through these holes in the least amount of shots as possible. And the first couple of runs that you do, you're going to realize how bad you are at this game, right? Like when you start out, you are not good at curves to golf. And it takes some um, getting used to the controls. It takes some getting used to the mechanics, utilizing your cards, figuring out because you don't have direct control of your shots either it is swinging is is a power bar right like when you push a to start your swing it will build up and go down and right you have to stop it however however hard you want to hit the ball and then once you have your power set It starts like a a rotating, not a rotating, but like it goes up and down and that's showing the trajectory of the ball and you have to stop it basically where you want the ball to kind of go. So you're not getting to like move it up and down. It's just a thing that's constantly moving and you have to stop it kind of where you want it to go. And several times I stopped it in the wrong spot and just completely fucked myself and had to start all over because I you know, would have wasted shots trying to get back up to where I needed to go. And if I hit a wall too hard and I bounce back, well, then that's just already a wasted shot. So I was already getting pissed off at that, but the more runs you do and the further you get and the more experience you get and the more cards you unlock to utilize in your runs, you'll start to be able to get through some of these initial courses in maybe two or three shots, bouncing off walls, changing the trajectory of your ball as you bounce off walls and and not having it land and like making it fly further There's some really cool mechanics and really cool stuff here, but the game also reminds me a lot of when Returnal first came out on the PlayStation 5, because Returnal was often, you know, kind of not bashed, but talked negatively about, about how hard it was and how long these runs last for, because a traditional roguelike like Hades or Neon Abyss or whatever, right, those runs can be completed in 20, 30 minutes tops sometimes. Right. Whereas Returnal was hours upon hours of a run before you died and then you went back to the start and then you had to start all fucking over. Well, that's Curse to Golf as well, because some of these courses are so lengthy that You know, by the time you die, say you die on the eighth or ninth hole, you've spent maybe three plus hours getting to that point. And when you die, you go back to the very start. Now, when you die, you do get to keep the cards that you've amassed throughout those runs. So as long as you're not just blowing through your cards, you could potentially have upwards of like 100 cards in your inventory, which will make getting back to where you were quite a bit easier. But also the experience that you've picked up with how to control the, you know, the, the ball and by just getting better at the game and making more precise and You know, fine tuned shots through small crevices and maybe taking advantage of the portals that exist in the levels to warp from point A to point B or the shortcuts that are being blocked by TNT. As long as you can explode it, you can kind of minimize the amount of shots that you are taking for some of these beginning holes to get back to where you were. Now, I think the furthest I've made it so far is the 13th hole. So, I am still trying to get through and, and complete this game. I don't know how long it's going to actually take me to beat this game. I have sunk several hours into it since getting the key for it and starting playing it. Um, I, I've been having an absolute blast playing this game. And I'm really, really fucking loving the soundtrack, man. Mark, Spar- uh, Mark, Sp- uh, what's his name? Mark Sparling, right? He is the guy that did the soundtrack for one of, well, I don't want to say one of your favorite games, but a game that you really fell in love with, um, A Short Hike he yeah. put this soundtrack together that has a retro feel to it that was just absolutely fucking gorgeous. I have already listened to this entire soundtrack from start to finish. It is just it it's mind-blowingly good. Probably one of my favorite soundtracks so far of 2022 for for new release games. And as you as you get further in like, you know, the courses are broken up into areas right so like there's maybe three or four courses in an area and then it'll transition you have to do like a a boss battle where you are going against a, a major character and you have to race them to the hole and whoever gets their first wins and if you lose you go back to the start and if you win you can carry on but um As you move to the next area, right, you might be in, like, a fiery area or an underground area, and and there's just, like, different settings and different landscapes that you'll also visit for these courses. This is a super cool game, dude, and you really need to play it.
1: Yeah, it's one that I know that I'll end up picking up eventually because it's a game that's right up my alley. I love golfing games. I love roguelites. This is the best of both.
0: Yep, absolutely. And then I will have a review up for this over on RPGera.com as soon as I get to the end of it and and experience everything Curse to Golf has to offer. I haven't gotten that far yet, so I haven't been able to write the review, but I will hopefully in the next coming days. The last game I want to mention before you probably get on out of here, Kyle, and then I'll finish the show, um, is a sequel to a game that you and I both fell in love with back in 2017 when it first initially released, and that was Blossom Tales the Sleeping King. Well, Castle Pixel finally put out the second game in this series, Blossom Tales 2, The Minotaur Prince. Just came out on August 16th, so a couple days ago. Uh, Currently available for PC and Nintendo Switch. And this, man, if you liked Blossom Tales 1... I don't have I won't talk long on this because it is a rather short game Uh, longer than the first. Right. If you do everything in Blossom Tales 2, it'll take you upwards of maybe 15 hours. But me just rushing through it, focusing on the major stuff that I had to do in order to see the end and skipping a lot of the collectible side quest stuff that the team did kind of put in here to pad the hours a bit. I think I got through it in in maybe eight or nine hours total. So it's not a super lengthy game. But what is here, man, four major dungeons, three to collect, you know, pieces of a key to get to the fourth major dungeon, which is the final dungeon. These dungeons are expertly crafted. The overworld is basically a link to the past, just not in name or character. I mean, it's it's still basically a link to the past and in, in how this game is designed. And if you like Zelda, if you like that formula, and I know we all do here at RPG Era, this is a game that I think you absolutely need to play, especially since you loved the first.
1: Yeah, it's sitting at a, a seventy one on Metacritic, but a seventy nine on Open Critic, which means I think that a lot of smaller indie game players and indie outlets are enjoying this I game gave it a an lot eight. more than I gave
0: it an eight. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it and almost everybody is at the seven or eight range for this game. So it looks like the smaller outlets are enjoying this game a lot more than the bigger outlets did. And maybe we're just a little more forgiving with indie games like this. I don't know. But it is a game I'm going to play because I did like Blossom Tales so much and this one's right up my alley.
0: One of the best things about this game is the is the way that the narrative is presented to you, right? Like a grandpa telling a story to his grandkids. And throughout the course of the game, the kids are like, Grandpa, that's stupid, right? Like we no, we want we want fucking We want this, there, this, and that. And, like, the grandpa's like, all right, well, which one do you actually want, right? And you get to choose. And it kind of, like, gives a little bit of uh, personalization to the story of Blossom Tales because the the thing that you choose, right? Like, you can choose what puzzle you want to encounter, or you can choose what instrument that you're going to play, like an ocarina, or you can choose the enemy that you're going to be fighting right then and there. Like, it, it makes it so that no two games are ever completely identical and, and allows you to kind of you know, play the game the way that you would want to play this game and how you want to play it, what instrument you want to use, right? I chose the guitar because I thought that was cool. And I don't know, man. This is just a really cool fucking game. Reminded me a lot. I don't know if you read through my review, but the way that uh, Lily summoned the Minotaur King to take her brother Chris away is identical to the way that Sarah, you know, played by Jennifer Conley. In Labyrinth, summons the Goblin King.
1: Oh yeah, played by
0: David Bowie. It is the same way about wanting her to uh, wanting the. Oh, dude, I watch the movie every year. Um, It's the same way that you know Sarah wants the Goblin King to come take her baby brother away, and Lily does that. And there's a lot of elements of I know another movie you absolutely love, The Princess Bride. There's a lot Uh, of elements of yeah. There's a lot of elements of The Princess Bride in this story. Um, there is just some really cool fucking inspiration outside of just A Link to the Past. And the way that you progress through the dungeons, obviously unlocking new weapons or new tools that'll help you progress, right? There's a teleporter that you'll eventually unlock that is really fucking cool because it allows you to put like a a spot down and then once you hit it again, you warp back to that spot. So you will, once you unlock that, be utilizing that a lot to get through some of these dungeons because... You know, there might not be a path, but utilizing the teleporter, you'll be able to realize, oh, there actually is a path, right? You just have to figure it out. So there's a lot of creativity in the way that the dungeons were designed. The overworld is gorgeous. Again, the soundtrack is gorgeous. I really enjoyed Blossom Tales 2, and I do hope that this team, um, you know, wants to continue this series. I was a little surprised we were getting a sequel, but now I'm almost craving a third. Like I, I really hope this game does well.
1: Yeah, they've they've stumbled on a, a winning formula here. People want these top down Zelda Light games. And there's not enough of them. Es- especially ones that, you know, play so faithfully to their source material,
0: but do enough to separate themselves apart as well. Right, right. So uh most of these games we talked about, they do have reviews over on RPGera.com if you want to read more about them, right? Uh, we do have reviews for Call to the Lamb, Sword and Fairy, Demon Throttle, and Blossom Tales all on RPGera.com. And then the only other one that doesn't, Curse to Golf, will have a review up soon. We also have several more reviews coming. We have uh, Two Point Campus coming for a review soon on RPGera.com. Sev this week is going to be working on Midnight Fight Express and Saints Row. We've got a couple more games lined up for review over the next few weeks as well. We are just back into it, man. And it's been a blast.
1: It's been a lot of fun. I've actually really enjoyed it.
0: Yep. It's been fun. But I know we're at about that point where the show would continue, but I know you need to go because we started late today and we only have a limited amount of time to record on the weekends anymore. So I'm going to ask you now, do you have a, a personal playlist pick for us that, uh, that you can just hit us with to, you know, since we haven't done it in a few weeks, I'm sure there's been oh, some man. new music.
1: I've, I've always got
0: a personal playlist. Pick you, you know me, man. So this isn't actually closing the show, so I'm just gonna let you do it now before we transition to the next segment because I'll be doing that on my own.
1: Oh man, hold on. You know what? I might not. I there's not been a lot of good music lately. oh. Shoot.
0: No personal playlist pick.
1: You know what? Okay, I got it. I got it. The first track, the first track on the new Mountain Goats album, Bleed Out. It's it's uh this has been out as a single for a while, but the album just released yesterday on Friday, August 19th. Yeah. But the first track is called Training Montage. And it rocks. It is so good. I'm such a huge Mountain Goats fan. And I was at the gym the other day. Lindsay was with me. And I could hear her headphones and she was listening to this. And I was like, are you listening to the Mountain Goats? And she was like, yeah, the song is so good. I was like, dude, it's so good. Anyways, it's called Training Montage by the Mountain Goats. It freaking rocks. Go listen to it. All right, Kyle. Well, we will see you later. And we
0: are going to do things a little out of order this week because we aren't going to have a main discussion. We are just going to have the Sean Waltman Lightning Round be pretty much the main discussion since we spent so much time, almost an hour there, on What's New With You because we had so many new games to cover and go over. Let's go ahead and jump to the new release roulette. And we have five games oh six games we have a full slate of games coming out this week for the new release roulette several of these games i am very interested in playing i think i will end up probably playing actually you know what i probably will end up playing all six of these games maybe not this week several of these i'll play this week uh one through game fly one through game pass one i may pick up one i'm hoping to get a review key for two i may pick up shit i don't even know I'm actually looking forward to all six of these games, so let's jump into this, let's talk about what's releasing this week. Starting with game number one, coming on Tuesday to PC, PS5, PS4, Xbox Series, and Xbox One, a game that Sev will be reviewing for us for RPGera.com, this is Saints Row. Experience the biggest and best Saints Row playground ever created the unique sprawling world of Santo Leso, I think that's how you say that. Santo Leso, Or maybe maybe it's double L, but that's at the beginning. I don't think it'll be Santo Iso, but maybe it is. It's the backdrop for a wild larger-than-life sandbox of thrilling side hustles, criminal ventures, and blockbuster missions as you shoot, drive, and wingsuit your way to the top. This reboot looks kind of cool. I've always kind of enjoyed some of the the wacky zaniness of the Saints Row series. I am going to be renting this through Gamefly. I am not picking it up. Hopefully it'll ship out to me this week. I do have an open slot, and and I've kind of figured out how to constantly get new releases to ship through Gamefly. You just have to micromanage and be really diligent on your queue and what's on there and what isn't. But I I hope this will actually ship out on Monday or Tuesday so that way I can play it by the end of the week. Because I would like to jump into Saints Row and check it out. Maybe I won't like it. Maybe I'll end up sending it back, you know, pretty quickly. But I do want to give this a chance. Game number two also coming on Tuesday to PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. And it will be playable via Xbox Game Pass. And it's another game that Sev has kind of tasked himself with writing a review for us over on RPGera.com. That is Midnight Fight Express. An unexpected hero emerges on the city's darkest night. Your babyface, a former member of the criminal underworld lured back into the life by a mysterious AI drone. Your mission against impossible odds? Fight your way across the city before sunrise and prevent a citywide criminal takeover together. Engage in a brutal and hyperkinetic brawling ballet using every environmental tool and street fighting technique at your disposal. Level up your abilities to take down the mounting onslaught of bozos, cronies, and crime lords. I would not normally pick this up, but because it is going to be playable via Xbox Game Pass, I will install it, and I'll give it a chance. We'll see how it is. Game number three coming on Wednesday to PC, it's Islets. Take to the sky and reunite a fragmented world in this surprisingly wholesome Metroidvania. Help Eco adventure across beautiful hand-painted islands, receive letters from a quirky cast of characters, and face powerful, monstrous adversaries. This game looks gorgeous. I've had it on my radar for well over a year now since it was first announced. I've been looking forward to it. They just uh, announced like a week and a half ago that it was going to be coming out this Wednesday on the 24th. I'm really looking forward to jumping into this, hoping I'll get access to it, but if not, there's a good chance I'll end up picking this up, whether this week or in the future. I really do want to play this game. Another game that I really want to play that I'm hoping I'll get access to, and if not, this one I probably will buy this week. Game number four coming on Thursday to PC, I Was a Teenage Exocolonist. Spend your teenage years on an alien planet in this narrative RPG with card-based battles. Explore, grow up, and fall in love. The choices you make and skills you master over 10 years will determine the course of your life and the survival of your colony. This game was just kind of revealed and, and made known to me this past summer at the Summer Game Fest. I forget which showcase it was during, but I fell in love with it. Really liked the presentation, thought this was such a cool concept. I will definitely play through this. Might even start it this week. Like I said, hoping to get access to it, but if not, I can't imagine it'll be too expensive, so I may just pick it up in general, but I am looking forward to playing through this game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Game number five coming on Friday to PC, PS5, PS4, Xbox Series, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. It's Pac-Man World Repack. First released in 1999, Pac-Man World saw Pac-Man's exciting debut to the 3D platforming genre. Now the remaster that fans have requested is nearly here. In Pac-Man World Repack, Pac-Man arrives home on his birthday to find the ghosts have kidnapped his family and friends and ruined his party. Now he must set out to adventure through the six areas of Ghost Island to rescue them and face off against the ghosts' boss... Talkman. This is another game that I might end up picking up through Gamefly. I really did like the original Pac-Man world back in 1999. I love how they've remastered it and the way that it looks. I probably will play through this eventually, whether it's this week or in the future through Gamefly. I may try to end up scooping this up if I have an open slot on my queue. So we'll see what happens. It looks kind of fun. And then game number six, also coming on Friday, one that I'm heavily considering picking up if I don't get access to, but one that I may not need to pick up because I'm pretty sure Justin will buy it as well and I can potentially just play his copy. Coming to PC, PS5, PS4, Xbox Series, and Xbox One, it's Soul Hackers 2. In the shadows, a war between the uh, Yatagarasu and the Phantom Society is brewing, devil summoners who harness the otherworldly power of demons. Existing in the secret area of humanity's data, a digital hive mind has evolved into sentience, Aeon. Observing humankind from afar, Aeon calculates that a world-ending disaster is imminent and creates two agents to combat against it, Ringo and Figu. Or, I think it's F-I-G-U-E, Figu. who knows. Together, these agents of Aeon must investigate and prevent a butterfly effect that will lead to the end of the world this is an atlas developed jrpg in the devil summoner series it looks really fucking dope it's been getting some decent reviews the review embargo was up this past week i want to say on like the 16th or something like that i think i saw reviews drop in this past tuesday or wednesday so this is a game that i definitely want to play i will hopefully get a chance to this week looking forward to it uh, my pick of the week this week is definitely Soul Hackers 2. I think that's probably the one I'm most looking forward to this week. And just in terms of the type of games that I really enjoy, and the ones that I get involved with. If not Soul Hackers 2, I would probably go with I Was a Teenage ExoColonist. But those are two that I'm really looking forward to getting into. And if I had to say here, like, what's going to score the best, what's going to score the worst, I'm, I might say Midnight Fight Express would score the worst on Open Critic. And scoring the best, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say I was a teenage exocolonist. I'm going to say the reviews come back really positive for that, and I think that might score the highest. So we'll see if I'm right. We'll see if I'm wrong. Who knows? I I have been known to be wrong several times in the past. (laughs) But that is the new release roulette for this week.
1: This is Kyle, and one day you can be too. Every Friday, I host what is soon to be your favorite podcast, the media files me and one of my best friends talk about pop culture happening so that you don't look like an uncultured swine during those boring water cooler conversations laughs are shared tears are cried and sometimes we have really interesting special guests that you might be familiar with download the media files wherever you download podcasts and remember be kind be honest and we'll see you later
0: All right, and coming back in now, we are... Gonna instead of doing a main discussion, we are just going to do the Sean Waltman Lightning Round in place of our main discussion. So this probably won't take me super long to get through since I'm just doing it on my own. I'll put 10 minutes on the clock. The lightning round begins right now. The arcade crew and Joy Masher have announced Vengeful Guardian Moonrider, a side-scrolling action platformer inspired by the golden age of classic 16-bit action games. It will release this fall for PC, PS5, PS4, and Nintendo Switch. In the oppressed world of vengeful guardian Moonrider, humanity finds an unlikely hero. After building an army of super soldiers as weapons of war, the authoritarians unwittingly seal their own fates by bringing online the ninja warrior known as Moonrider. Conceived as a tool to preserve the totalitarian state, the Moonrider instead rejects its intended purpose and wages a relentless battle for vengeance against its creators and fellow super soldiers. This game looks really cool. I saw the trailer for it the other day. I think this game might be uh, might be one that I'm going to want to put on my radar. I do like those side-scrolling action platformers. I do like 16-bit era stuff, so I will probably be checking this out when it releases later this year. I wish Kyle would have been here to talk about this. DC's Black Adam and Stripe from Gremlins will join multiverses as playable characters in the coming months as part of Season 1. Alongside Morty Smith and Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. And this was announced by Warner Bros. Games the other day. Uh, Him and I, obviously, in the last episode that posted for the Max Level Podcast, just kind of contemplated what characters we thought might get added in the future. I was saying Gizmo from Gremlins, but it is still cool to see some Gremlins representation in multiverses with Stripe. Uh, that probably would be a character that I would gravitate toward if I did play multiverses I still have not had a chance to jump into it yet not that i haven't had a chance to I just have been so I, well technically I haven't had a chance to but I've been so busy playing through other games that I've been working on for review that I haven't really had time to dive into and check out multiverses the way that I've wanted to yet but I will hopefully one day it is free to play so I can kind of jump into it at any time Disney will host a Disney and Marvel game showcase at d23 Expo 2022 on September 9th at 4 pm eastern 1 pm Pacific and 9 pm sev/British time. The digital showcase will feature new content from Disney and Pixar games, Marvel games, Lucasfilm games, and 20th Century games, including all new announcements and reveals from existing titles such as Disney Dreamlight Valley, Marvel's Midnight Suns, and Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga, plus a sneak peek at the upcoming Marvel ensemble game from SkyDance New Media. This could be a showcase that's worth paying attention to with the all new announcements. I would not be shocked to see maybe Sony show up with something for Wolverine or something like that, right? Like, there could be some Sony representation here, but I'm very curious to see what gets announced. I'm very curious to see more on Midnight Suns and Disney Dreamlight Valley. I, I want to see what this showcase has to offer. I think this might be the first Disney and Marvel game showcase that they've done, at least any that I can remember. So, I'm going to be tuning in. What day is September 9th? I think the 10th is a Saturday because of Ubisoft Forward. Yeah, so September 9th is a Friday at 4 p.m. I likely won't be able to react to this live, but I will react to it after I get off work. That is something I plan to do. Publisher No More Robots and developer Panic Barn have announced Soccer Story, a comedy open-world RPG about solving puzzles and saving the world with a magic soccer ball. It will release later this year for PC, PS5, PS4, Xbox Series, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch, and it will be playable via Xbox Game Pass. It's been a year since the calamity tore apart the very foundations of soccer as we know it. Since then, Soccer Inc. has made dang well sure that not a soul has been allowed to even look at a soccer ball, let alone kick it. It's a real messy situation, no doubt. And that's M-E-S-S-I, right? Messy situation. But this is just the calm before the score. A magical football has now chosen you, the savior of soccer, and you'll get a kick out of this. You've been tasked with saving the future of the sport and bringing harmony to the world once more. Can you remind everyone why there's just no substitute for soccer or will there be a foul ending? I linked this in Discord the other day for Kyle, who is desperately waiting for a sports story to come out this is hopefully going to hold us over until that game does release this looks like a lot of fun Uh, i know it's about soccer not super popular here over in the united states but real popular throughout the rest of the world kyle made a joke he's like oh it's stupid soccer i don't want to play this game but then watch the trailer and it's like oh hell yeah i want to play this game so this game looks like a lot of fun i will be downloading this via xbox game pass when it does come out and playing through it it looks great and before we wrap up the Sean Waltman lightning round we do have several release dates and delays to talk about since we've been gone for a few weeks I did pull everything that we missed so let's jump through this Beacon Pines releases on September 22nd Slime Rancher 2 releases in Early Access on September 22nd Takar Desert Rally releases on October 4th The Eternal Cylinder releases on October 13th Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed releases on October 18th New Tales from the Borderlands releases on October 21st The Chant releases on November 3rd Ship of Fools releases on November 22nd, and supposedly, according to an Amazon listing, Dead Island 2 is finally going to be releasing on February 3rd, 2023. We'll have to see if that gets confirmed. Maybe at Gamescom, I have a feeling it might, because Gamescom is this week, right? We have a lot of content probably being announced and revealed this week. We have Opening Night Live with Jeff Keighley on Tuesday. There's an Xbox Showcase someday. There's a Future Game Showcase from Games Radar, I think, on Wednesday. I won't be able to react. Uh, react. I won't be able to react live to any of that stuff because I believe it's all going to be during work hours for me, and work is rather busy right now. But I will still react live to them. I will be live myself. Just the showcases will not be live. I'll do that once I get off work. I'll just go live on the YouTube channel, queue up the showcases, and and watch them and react to them. If you guys want to join along, you're more than welcome to. If you've already seen them, that's okay. Uh, I will have not seen them yet, and I will be going media blackout, basically, once these showcases start. I will be avoiding websites, and I'll be avoiding the Discord server, just so that nothing gets spoiled for me while I react to these videos. So I do plan to do that this week. And then we have a couple delays as well. Evil West has been delayed to November 22nd. High on Life has been delayed to December 13th. Deliver Us Mars has been delayed to February 2nd, 2023. Hogwarts Legacy has been delayed to February 10th, 2023 planet of lana has been delayed to sometime in the spring of 2023 but it is confirmed that it'll be coming to xbox game pass on day one so that's super dope i'll take the delay for the game pass edition and our final delay metal slug tactics has been delayed to sometime in 2023 and that is your sean waltman lightning round for this week but you know what that music means before i get on out of here before i wrap this show up I want to talk about a game that hit Kickstarter a couple of weeks ago, still going strong right now over on kickstarter.com. It is a nerve-wracking Lovecraftian adventure into the heart of the Cthulhu Mythos, developed in Ukraine, which is super cool because of everything going on right now over there during the uh during the war and the Russian invasion. We are talking about Sherlock Holmes: The Awakened. The Awakened is a Lovecraft Conan Doyle crossover detective adventure game that puts you in the shoes of a young Sherlock who is up against a sinister sect that worships a monstrous ancient deity, Cthulhu. What started as a trivial disappearance case led to a mind-shattering discovery that we are not alone in the universe and that there are beings far more powerful and ancient than we could ever imagine. Now, Sherlock must expose the cult and thwart its ominous plans or face unspeakable consequences. The Awakened is set a few years after the events of the team's previous game, Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1. Holmes and Watson are merely roommates renting a flat at 221B Baker Street. It's the events of this adventure that will turn them into the iconic crime-solving duo of best friends, and it's the only story that Watson will never reveal to the public. The world will be better off being ignorant of what really transpired. Sherlock Holmes The Awakened is basically a remake of a game that released back in 2006 as a standalone story with a mature Sherlock taking on a case of supernatural mystery and intrigue. And it says here that for quite some time, the team has had the idea that the game from 16 years ago can be a perfect foundation for the continuation of their young Sherlock story arc that started with their latest game, Chapter One, in 2021. So it says we're taking this foundation and remaking The Awakened entirely from the ground up. On top of a slew of visual and gameplay changes, we are rewriting the story to be a direct continuation of the young Sherlock history, diving into the key events in his formative years that could have led him to become the flawed and broken genius we all know so well. They are also treating this game as the first real case Sherlock undertakes with Watson, and making story changes to be more reflective of how such a harrowing endeavor could bring them close together. Put simply, this is not just a remaster, it is a full-scale remake where the only assets from the original game they are reusing are the general case plots. It says some of the major changes we are making include all new graphics and asset models, new animations, new cutscenes, additional investigation, gameplay mechanics, rewriting the story to connect with the case from The Awakened to a younger Sherlock, amplifying the story behind how Watson and Holmes came to be so close, case story rewrites, additional side quests, a new English voiceover recording and translations into multiple languages, an overhaul of the UI, change to the third person perspective camera, and additional quality of life features. Now, because we're talking about the team and what they're doing here a little bit, I want to read the blurb that they wrote about themselves, because they are a team based in the Ukraine and everything going on over there during the Russian invasion. So let's talk about this. It says, We are Frogwares, a video game developer founded in the year 2000. You may know us for our open-world Lovecraftian horror game, The Sinking City, or our various adventures of Sherlock Holmes, including our recently released Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1. We are a team of around 90-plus people, and we make Unreal Engine-powered games for PC, PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo Switch. We have released 20 plus titles over the years, but the Russian invasion of our homeland Ukraine has thrown up one of our toughest production challenges we've ever faced. As this war has no foreseeable end in sight, we are now working around this new reality of ours. For those of us on the team not serving in the military or with various humanitarian aid organizations, the only way we can fight back is by keeping our team creating for normal citizens like us our most potent weapon right now against the russians is being able to keep ukrainian society and our economy and our economy alive a functioning country is one that can resist fight back and finally rebuild and i think it's for that reason alone that i'm going to support this game i want to support this game i want to support ukrainian developers right now i know i talked about that during the summer game fest when one of the showcases actually had a a presentation of ukrainian developed games I, I still stand with Ukraine right, so I will definitely, definitely support this game. Set across four distinct locations and eight main cases, players will investigate a series of crimes all connected to uncovering the truth of the various Elder God-worshipping cult. At the heart of these crimes is a rich and mysterious London elite who has lost his grip on sanity and become obsessed with a cult and an ancient prophecy. At the start of each case, you'll arrive at the crime scene and get a rundown of what is known so far, and sometimes it's not that much. Each case takes place in a large, semi-open world map, allowing you to explore and proceed with your investigation as you see fit. As the world's most famous detective, you'll have a few tool, uh, a few tools and tricks up your sleeve to name just a few. Recreate the sequence of key events using your imagination mode. Interrogate suspects and witnesses by asking the right questions. Zero in on details throughout the crime scenes others have missed using your concentration mode. Pull key clues from various archives by using the intelligence system, then piece it all together in your deduction space to then present your findings. Along the way, you'll encounter gruesome details about the cult and truths that no mortal should ever be privy to. Sherlock's involvement in this investigation will begin to test and break his mind. Another key feature that will make a comeback is the deduction board slash mind palace. It will allow you to piece your evidence together to reveal the possible motives and whereabouts of your next suspect or clue. That chaotic feel and design of the deduction board will reflect Sherlock's decaying mental state as seen in, this, in some of the screenshots that you can see on Kickstarter. After all, it's hard to piece your thoughts together when you're losing your mind, which is totally fucking true. What is a Lovecraftian game without losing one's mind? The Awakened will feature mind-bending insanity puzzles that will get you to question reality. The idea here is to depict Sherlock's descent into madness as he gets closer to revealing the existence of supernatural eldritch beings. The insanity puzzles are based on two main pillars, Lovecraftian atmosphere of hopelessness and fear of the unknown, as well as otherworldly environments. Solving these puzzles will require experimentation and outside-of-the-box thinking. Sherlock's appearance will mirror his mental state. The more it deteriorates, the more exhausted and raggedy he will look. The Awakened has a semi-open world structure and is set across several drastically different locales, Victorian London, a Swiss psych ward, New Orleans, Louisiana bayous, and Scotland. All seen through the dark prism of Lovecraft, Most areas will feature hub-like designs with side quests and other activities. Some locations can be traversed by boat, like the Louisiana wetlands that harbor a cannibalistic tribe. The team has decided to go with a semi-open world structure because of the war. These are extreme circumstances, and it says they simply cannot afford to get dragged into the whirlpool of design and optimization problems tied to a full open world map. Shifting to a semi-open world approach is going to help them focus on a tighter narrative and gameplay mechanics. And there will be no hand-holding in this game. It says The Awakened is being built on the established principle of creating gameplay that has as little hand-holding as possible. In short, the game will never blatantly tell you what to do next. As a detective, you need to think about your next steps, so there are no instructional checklists that you just follow blindly. No GPS map littered with markers giving you outright the exact location of every notable point of where to go next. They are going to provide you with various sleuthing tools to collect your clues. How you piece that all together to keep the case moving forward and ultimately coming to the right conclusion is all in your hands. They're doing this because they want you to feel like an actual detective, figuring out the connection between clues and threads, thinking out your next steps, using your intuition to come up with theories, and testing them on the fly. It's a design principle they've embraced to create an experience that is quite hard to find in most of today's modern gameplay uh, and mainstream games, so let alone horror ones. This game is real fucking cool. Cheapest tier to get in to get a copy of the game is 36 us dollars you'll get a digital download for sherlock holmes the awakened when it releases and they're targeting spring of 2023 for pc ps4 ps5 xbox one xbox series and nintendo switch you'll also get uh, pre-launch exclusive outfits a set of digital wallpapers your name in the credits and a thank you note from frogwares and there are tiers all the way up to... Let's see, there's a $71 tier, but that's... A, well, no, there's a $181 tier. There is a $201 tier, a $502 dollar, dollar tier. Yeah, $502 that five people have actually pledged to that um, get your portrait and name in the New Orleans bank, which is kind of fucking cool. A $1,000 tier that you get to have an exclusive cell inside the asylum with your name. And then a $1,500 tier where, what do you get for this? What do you get? A top place in the credits? There's got to be more. Oh, you get to give a name to a colossal freighter in London's dry dock and a couple other cool things. And then a $2,000 tier where you get to video call with the developers, access to their next games over five years, so all of their games when they come out, your name on the title screen, which two people have actually pledged to, Um, and pretty much everything that came before it so super fucking cool if you want to check this out, they're already doing quite well. They were looking for 70,251 US dollars translated from local currency, currently sitting at 189,351, so more than double what they were looking for. The game definitely blew up. I think it has you know, definitely been helped by the fact that people do want to help this team being based in the Ukraine right now. They have already released or they've already hit three of their stretch goals. A metagame, a system that keeps track of your actions and rewards you for thorough sleuthing. Uh, Play as Dr. Watson at 160,000, and then at 185,000, they unlocked, uh, they expanded the soundtrack. And then at 218,000, if it gets there, and there's still 13 days to go as a time of recording, so there's a very good chance that it will get there, they're going to expand NPC dialogues and put realistic physics for in game objects. So, this looks real cool. I think everyone needs to support this team in this game. Go check it out over on Kickstarter.com. Again, the name of it is Sherlock Holmes, The Awakened. But that is unfortunately going to bring us to the close of the show for this week. Kyle did close us out with the personal playlist earlier. So to close this show out the way that I normally do, and I don't normally get to close the show out, but I usually end with a quote. I, going off of the Sherlock Holmes and Lovecraftian type stuff, I'm going to go with one of my favorite dark authors of all time, and that is Edgar Allan Poe, and we are going to go with uh, one of his famous quotes from the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, released in 1838. This quote is as follows, words have no power to impress the mind without the exquisite horror of their reality. This episode of the Max Level Podcast has been brought to you by RPGera.com please remember to leave us a rating and a review regardless of where you're listening. If you want more of us, check us out on YouTube and Twitch and make sure you're subscribed or following at both places with notifications on. Links to where we can be found on social media as well as to our Discord server and all other important information can be found in the show notes for this episode. Yeah.